Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 33. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And I am feeling so much better this week. Oh my god. Yeah, Sean has played. Yeah, I, uh, if, if, for those of you who are listeners to the show, first off, welcome back. Secondly, if you were new last week, please forgive my, uh, my tone last week. I had no energy. No energy at all. No, Sean was a mess last week. He got really, really sick, which he never, ever gets sick. And, uh, I don't, I don't think you sounded too bad on the show. You sounded awful otherwise, but I just sounded you like it I together. was I sounded like I had just rolled out of bed. For you know, to put it in perspective, I don't go to the doctor. And that's not meant to be some sort of like macho thing. I just never really get sick enough where I can't cure it with something over the counter, like a Pepto Bismol or an extra strength Tylenol. I've been to the doctor three times in a week. <laughs> yeah, no, he was really out for the count. When you first got sick, I was kind of like, all right, one or two days, you get over it. You usually bounce back pretty quickly, but man. For a week. But I'm happy to be back and happy to be talking about uh, Cinderella, this being the live action remake. As we know, this tends to be the year of the live action remakes. And um, I'm excited to talk about this one because... The animated film, we had a really good conversation about it last week. It was one of my favorite films growing up as a, you know, Disney film at least. So when they announced that this one was getting done, I was really excited. Yeah, and this was so early on before they started shoving the remakes down our throats. It was actually really exciting. Um, I remember when the trailer got released and you saw the dress transformation in the trailer. Uh, it was really interesting. And um, I like the cast that they put together. That was really intriguing to me, too, when they first announced this one. Yeah. Um, so basically, we're not going to go ahead and, and give you a plot because the plot is very much the same. We are going to talk on some of the things that are a little different. Um, but if you know the plot of the film, continue to listen. If you don't want it to be spoiled, first off, where have you been? Secondly... Uh, you can go ahead and watch the original Cinderella, and then you can listen to our review of the original animated Cinderella from 1950 last week. That was episode number 32. Yeah, not for nothing, but if you're listening to a Disney podcast and you've never at least heard the story of Cinderella, I think you need to start questioning some of your life choices. Yeah, you need to kind of take a break and, and look at yourself in the mirror, look at your reflection and wonder if this is really for you. Um, but so this film, um, out of the gate, gives a lot more insight into the relationship between Ella and her parents. Um, you Go ahead. Well, that's the first issue right there. That was one of my big gripes is that they named her Ella and then they showed us how they got to Cinderella eventually. Well, that but was my second note, was that they do cover it, and that was a gripe of yours last week. It was a big one. So out of the gate, I was like, all right, wonderful. We're, we're filling in some holes here. Right. Um, you see that her relationship with her parents is obviously very special, especially with her mother. Her mother is the one that is really pushing her to believe in everything and wish and dream. We've seen this a lot in, in some of these films, um, such as we saw it in Saving Mr. Banks, mm -hmm. right, um, where that was the father that was uh, Travers Goff. That was his thing, was always play and dream and, and use your imagination. I will say the beginning of this movie, though, is cheesy 
and and I I understand they're trying to paint this picture where you know they have I don't want to say an angelic life certainly it's a charmed life and they really want Ella to express herself but when her mother comes out and says I believe in everything like it's it just it's really ooey and gooey and it does get a little over the top they romanticized her childhood far too much is what they did and you know of course, I realize that they have to build to the loss of her mother and make it very sad, but it was just way too overdone. And I think part of that has to do with the child seriously overacting the beginning. Um, you know, I, I don't want to criticize a child, but it's bad. It's way too over the top. Um, and even even some of the stuff with the mother, um, first of all, Played by Haley Atwood. Uh, this was one of her really early Disney films. She's unrecognizable, by Completely the way. Completely unrecognizable. They dyed her eyebrows blonde. I mean, she's obviously in a blonde wig, but they dyed her eyebrows, too. And she, she, the whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, I know her. Who is this? And then finally I went to IMDb, and I was like, no kidding. This was before Captain America, though? Was this her first, first one, or she already had Captain America? I th- think she already had it. I, yeah, I think she already had Captain America. I'm almost certain she almost had Captain America before this one came out. Well, I'm glad Disney likes her because I like her. Yeah, she's great. And, and then she, she popped did up in Christopher, Christopher Robin, Robin again. that we talked about recently. Yeah. But um, man, I was I was just really surprised to find out that was her. Yeah, um, I I do like that they really explain what happens to her mother. Because all we know, not that you needed a lot of backstory in the original animated version, all we know is that her mother had passed away. And then we knew her father passed away. It was very different seeing it played out in real time, though. But I feel like in all of these, whether it be fairy tales or even any old movie, it's always like tuberculosis, the fever. Like even little women, you know, Beth gets sick. Like somebody's always sick, and I, I, I get it modern medicine has brought things very far. People are living longer. But I feel like it's just such a dismissive thing when somebody gets sick or, or when they're going to kill a character, it's just like, oh, they got sick. Yeah, it's it's very nondescript. And even in this case, they don't really tell you what it is. You just, they don't even She's come out and say like, it. She's, I must go very soon. Now, I have a big problem with this scene. This goodbye scene because it comes so quickly into her illness, doesn't really accomplish what it could have emotionally if it had been dragged out. Like, they basically have said to her, you know, for for a lack of better term, and I'm paraphrasing, because you never actually see any of this happen, the doctor comes out, you assume that he's told her that she's terminal. She's literally within minutes of finding out that she is going to die, and she starts giving her goodbye speech immediately. And it's... They're crying all over each other. And I'm not trying to downplay what a sad situation that must be, especially when you're that young. That's Don't take this out of context. I'm not judging emotion. What I'm judging is that they go from zero to 60 in terms yeah. of having this emotional goodbye. And 
the word cheesy, it comes out again because it just lacks real emotion because it happens too quickly. It would have been more effective if this played out over that entire beginning sequence of her childhood where maybe the mother knew she was sick and she was trying to instill all of these beliefs in Cinderella and maybe you go from like actively playing outside to no I can't go out today we have to play indoors and Cinderella doesn't really understand why just yet. Uh, sorry Ella doesn't really understand why right. just yet and I think that that would have also addressed what we were talking about before this massive buildup to her getting sick. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that stands out right away is that you have Mr. Goose as a character, no Bruno. Mr. Right. Goose kind of takes the Bruno role. And while I like Mr. Goose enough, I miss Bruno. Now, I don't, uh, admittedly, I do not know what the lifespan of a goose is. <laughs> but I know that a dog on average will live beti- between, say, 10 and 14 years. You mean 40? In, in our dog's case, 40. But I don't know that this goose, realistically, would have lived long enough to watch her grow up. I would like to think that they did some homework and that's why they chose a goose over a dog. But I miss Bruno. I know. I miss Bruno a lot. And you get, you get Lucifer, so... Seriously, I missed that whole relationship between the two of them. Right. Um, now you have the scene where Cinderella's, or Ella, because she's not Cinderella yet, is grown up and she's reading to her father. And her father, again, it's it's kind of cheesy, where he basically says to her, there's somebody else that is widowed in the prime of her life. And, you know, I'd like to maybe pursue this and she's like whatever makes you happy and he's like yes yes happiness yes <laughs> it's terrible it's absolutely <laughs> terrible now i will circle back around all of this it's cheesiness true. because in a weird it's way true. in a weird way i do think that it was an artistic choice and i'll explain why when we get to the turning point of the film but it's just it's bad it's overacted and that's an adult that's overacting and up to that point the father has not behaved that way. Like, he's whimsical, but he hasn't been childish. That's the thing. Like, it's kind of childish, that reaction. Yeah. I mean, I I understand it because he loved the mother so much. Um, I don't think that he was necessarily looking to replace her, but I think he's definitely trying to fill a void that he he knows is never going to be complete again. But what bothers me more about the scene is um, it's not just the acting. It's the relationship between Cinderella and her father, which clearly she's always been a daddy's girl, especially after the loss of her mother. But again, I come back to the word romanticized because it, it goes beyond just her loving and respecting her father and wanting his happiness. They're very close and the relationship borders on creepy. And I think that has to do with the acting. There are, yeah, there are, there are scenes where it, it kind of goes a little more than over the top. It kind of does seem like it's going over the line. Um, and I'll get to that in a minute because I think we're going to talk about the same scene. Yeah. But yeah. I, I do want to talk about the introduction of the stepmother and the stepsisters. Yes. Um, out of the gate, the stepsisters are insufferable and I love it. 
because they are just comedy from the minute they step out of that coach. And they, it's a, now first off, the house that they're living in is a beautiful house. Yeah, I do want to touch on that a little bit too because I like where they put this setting. Yes. I think they tried to make this like more traditional England, I guess you could say. I, I Some think so. Some kind of European. Um, but I like that the house is not over the top, but you can tell that they're wealthy and they're doing well for themselves because they do have caretakers for the whole property. They have kitchen staff, yeah. they have garden gardeners and people helping them with the animals. Yeah, it's, you know that they're well off. And that's something that's not as expressed in the animated film. You assume it because they live in a very nice home, but you don't see, you just don't see what leads up to the moment where her father passes away. So you start to get a feeling for just how good she had it. This is where some of the artistic choice, I think, plays in. And I'm really going to circle back around to it. So just hang on to your seats. Um, but you're introduced to them. And you're introduced to the stepmother, who's played by Kate Blanchett, who it, I thought was really good. And she actually reminds me of the stepmother from Back to School, the film with Rodney Dangerfield. She doesn't love her husband or really her family, but she loves the parties and the lifestyle and the idea of having this staff. And it's something that she clearly married into with the intention on marrying into a lifestyle rather than a relationship. I'm not the biggest Kate Blanchett fan, uh, but I really did like her in this. Um, and I liked what they did with the character here. I think this is actually a big improvement on Lady Tremaine, especially because... In the last episode, I said that she looked too old for yes. the father. They cast someone who's much more age appropriate. Um, you know, she's pretty. Kate Blanchett is pretty. And um, I think they use that to the advantage here because she's so calculated that she wasn't really looking to get married, remarried certainly not for love she did it it's it's almost like a business transaction and she found this guy who's heartbroken and i think that you know they lead you to believe that she kind of capitalized on the situation oh absolutely and what i like here too is that um it's it's interesting to me the dynamic with the daughters because she truly wants what's best for them and I think it's interesting how it's it's a little bit different from the animation in that I think Anastasia and Drizella are more mean in their own right. Whereas in the animation, she's more being the puppet master. Like, for example, when they tear apart the dress in the animated film, she's she points out the beads. She points out the sash. She knows that if she hits those buttons, it's going to set her girls off. And then they do her dirty work. Whereas in this one... She knows that they're dumb as dirt and they're never and that that's how you modernize and you make it more relatable to real life is because she knows she's never going to be able to marry these girls off because they don't have any social graces whatsoever. So she's trying to set them up for when she's no longer around. But I do miss the aspect where she doesn't recognize how awful her children are. But for this film, the change works. I, I like, 
I think I liked more the aspect where she was so in her own world that she didn't see how corrupt her own children were because she raised them to be that way because that's how she was. I got the feeling that Lady Tremaine in the original film came from money. It turns out that you know, she says later on in the film that in, for the first husband she married for love, the second she married for really for status. Mm-hmm. So she was at one point not corruptible herself. She married for love and she was good and she was kind. And when her husband passed away, it turned her. The thing is, any change that they made for the most part, they tied up. Um, But I really did miss the aspect where she was diabolical enough to use her daughters to do her dirty work for her. So she walked away without blood on her hands. I thought that she was much more cunning in the animated film. She's far more deliberate in this movie. I would agree with that. Yeah, because in the animated one, it comes off as entitlement. And that's, like you said, it it gives the impression that she came from wealth. So she just feels like they're supposed to have money regardless of how they go about it. Here, I think she realizes that the situation is much worse. So she's very smart, really, about how she goes about it. I mean, she's not the nicest about plotting this and and duping this heartbroken man, but um, I think she's much more aware of how she's going about things. There's a big difference between being evil and being cruel, and she was evil in the last movie. She's just very cruel in this movie. Again, for the character, the choice worked. It definitely works. But I didn't find her to be as... For, for all intents and purposes, scary as she was in right. in the animated film. Especially because they chose someone familiar. And like I said, you know, Kate Blanchett is a really pretty actress. So you almost, I don't want to say trust her a little bit more, but she's, she's more engaging, I think. Whereas in the beginning, in the original rather, you get from the narration that they're evil and we're not supposed to trust them. Correct. I want to talk a little bit, speaking of the narration too, I like how they have the narration throughout in this movie because at first I thought it was a bit much because the beginning sequence is a lot longer the way we see things play out and the narration is dropped throughout the rest of the film. Um, But you do come to find out the fairy godmother is narrating the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was a choice that worked really nicely. Yeah, I like that too. Um, What I didn't like is the foreshadowing of her father's death. It's horrendous. This film suffers from a a lack of, oh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Subtlety for the first <laughs> 20 minutes of it, <laughs> um, which I think kind of plays into that cheesiness. But I think let's set aside the fact that we all know the story of Cinderella and we know what is eventually going to happen. The scene in particular that I'm talking about with the foreshadowing it's also the scene where I think the relationship gets pushed over the line is the party scene when her mother throws and her mother's gambling, playing poker with all of these gentlemen. I can hang with Lady Tremaine. Sure could. And her father is off in his office working and he explains that he's got to go on the road for work for many months. He's going to be gone for months. Which I do like that they did. Yes. Um, In this case, they say that her father was a merchant, which I don't think we ever knew what his profession was. But what I like is that now they gave us a reason to believe 
Lady Tremaine's takeover because while he's away, that's when she started throwing all of these parties. And because he's gone for so long, it's like now she's the lady of the house. She's doing her thing. And now that he's home, he kind of has to play by the rules of what's happening when he's not there. So you can see how she's already setting these wheels in motion and how Cinderella's life changes. Right. Um, but when he asks Cinderella, he's like, what would, what would you like? Because I think the stepsisters wanted lace and what was it? Pashmina? Parasol? Parasol. Yeah, that's it. Um, <laughs> you're in the ballpark. Yeah. Uh, that's what they wanted from his travels. And Cinderella looks at him with the big doe eyes and goes, I want the branch of the first, uh, I want, I want the first branch that touches your shoulder on your journey because you'll have to take it and carry it the whole time and you'll have to remember me and then you'll have to bring it home to me. And that's what I really want is for you to come home. It's really, really bad. I mean, it's really bad. The, the acting, listeners cannot see me rolling my eyes right now. The acting is bad. The, the screenwriting was bad. The direction was bad. Again, I'm fortunate enough where I have not had to go through what Cinderella went through with losing a parent very young. So I'm not trying to downplay what that must be like and how that must scar a person. With that said, it's a bad scene. It's so uncomfortable, I thought she was going to ask him for a different type of branch. If you know what I'm saying. It was, yeah, it was just really over the top. And basically, not only was it overacted and uncomfortable, but he could have turned to the camera and said, I'm going to die, and then played the Seinfeld (laughs) music underneath it. And it would have been less awkward than it was as a finished product as we saw it when we watched this film again today. What... They, the only thing they did right about this scene is that Lady Tremaine is watching this happen. And I think that kind of starts grinding her gears because she realizes that his loyalty is always going to be to Cinderella. And he's clearly never going to love her as much as he loved Cinderella's mother. Which is fair because we find out that she never really loved him to begin with. Right. But um, I think... It also gives more reason to her enslaving Cinderella in her own home because she's probably starting to think about the inheritance at this point. Oh, totally. Totally. Um, Whether or not she knew that he was going to die. I mean, we know because the foreshadowing was ridiculous, but I think she's even thinking of later on is that she's her daughters are probably going to be left with nothing and Cinderella would get everything. While he's away, you sort of see Cinderella, and I'm just going to call her Cinderella now because how it's it's hard for you to just call her Ella. We all know her as Cinderella. I know, and this was such an issue with me and I'm like completely glossing over it. Yes. But you see her, she's kind of skipping through the house with her basket and she's collecting eggs and helping La-dee-da. people la-di-da, which dilly-dilly. D- yes. Yes. Um, every time they sing that song, by the way, and they're like, dilly dilly, I'm like, dilly dilly, and I raise my glass. No, and I know that that's an old song. I mean, I, I don't even know if it's like an, if, if it has like an artist attached to it. I think it's just one of those, not quite a nursery rhyme, but just like an old folk song. Right. That minstrels used to sing. Exactly. But Budweiser has taken it and ran with it. So dilly dilly. Yeah, so dilly dilly through the house with her basket collecting eggs. Now, there's a part of this that I do like is that it shows that she's not a spoiled brat. Not that you not that you know 
not that you don't know right away that she's not like her stepsisters, but that's the stark contrast. Her stepsisters sleep in, and she's moving about the house with the staff, who's, for all intents and purposes, working for her, and she's helping them. It goes to show that she is a very kind person, and she is a, you know an old soul, and she's not afraid to get her hands dirty and work. Again, we know this about her. It's nice to see it played out. But what I miss is that you never get her, I'm over this, jaded attitude that you get from the first movie. That's my biggest gripe with her. I would definitely agree with that, especially because her mother's final words were have courage and be kind. And that's what's been instilled in her so much as she's going through all of this. It's have courage, be kind, have courage. be kind, And that's really her only motivation to do any of this. Right. But I find her to be less relatable because she mm-hmm. doesn't carry that everyday person attitude. I definitely agree with that. I mean, it it kind of works for this movie, but it's definitely... It's definitely a loss for the character. Yes. Um, You see Gus Gus. You see, I think she was calling him Jacques. He's not Jack. Jacqueline. Right. Oh, Jacqueline. Yeah. I see. And there's far less mice in this. But I do like the CGI. I think it looks okay. I like how expressive they are. Do you need to get glasses? Not for you, huh? Oh, my God. It's awful that's one of my biggest okay aside from the terrible cgi my my other big thing is that they need to learn how to rack focus in this movie i don't know if you caught it racking focus is when you focus on either an object in the foreground or the background and then it switches so that the opposite is in focus and they do it so quick and so jarring in this movie it looks like a bad cut and it happens about three times See, that's something I'm not necessarily going to pick up on. Do you want to know where it is? Because I will tell you. Go ahead. <laughs> Let our listeners know. Uh, it is in one of the first scenes with uh, Lady Tremaine where she's sitting in the parlor and Cinderella comes in and it happens again at the end before Cinderella is ready to leave with the prince. But it looks like a blip. Fair enough. It's so bad. So, yeah, you're suffering from bad cinematography and bad CGI and I have major issues with both of those things. Do better, Disney. You're better than this. What what they had to do better on here, too, was the relationship between the mice and Lucifer. You only see Lucifer go after them one time, and he gets his comeuppings because they run underneath, like a, like a, a um, not a desk, but like it was like a, a table. table. Yeah, and, and he cracked his head against it, and he kind of got knocked down, and it was funny, but I missed that back and forth for the whole movie. I'm missing that entire subplot, I agree, because that's where your comedic relief is, and It is a big part of the story because the mice are doing battle just as much as Cinderella is. And that's one of those things, too, that, you know, we discussed it last week was that the company was kind of in dire straits when they made Cinderella. There were budget cuts left and right. But it's one of those instances where the creative process was so brilliant because whether it was a budget cut or not, Cinderella, the animated film, puts you on the level of the mice they shrink you down you know they make everything else bigger so it was smart in that they didn't really have to worry about like painting the backgrounds and doing all this elaborate artwork which is fine because it may have been for budgetary reasons that that they did that but like here is where I missed it in the actual story I missed this subplot I missed 
the mice and actually, you know, the whole relationship to Lucifer. The whole we're all in this together sort of thing. Exactly, exactly. You know, us against the world. Yeah. Um, you do go from zero to hate <laughs> once you see the reactions of the stepmother and the stepsisters following her father's death. Farmer John comes and he explains your father took ill on the road. He gives her the branch, of course, why wouldn't he? And Cinderella breaks down, as she should. But the stepmother and stepsisters are, but what about my lace? Forget that. We're ruined. How are we going to live? Literally within seconds of finding out that this man has died. And the tone of the film shifts completely after his death, almost as if we are shifting with Cinderella. That's that artistic choice that I kept talking about earlier that yep. I said I would come around to. This is where you see it. Everything, the music, even some of the colors, yep. everything tonally changes the minute that that happens. And it is a splash of cold water. And for all of the reason, all the issues I had, don't get me wrong, the overacting was bad, but the cheesiness and the floweriness makes a lot of sense once you get to this point in the movie. It drives up to it. It's so well done. And what I love is it almost feels like that zero to 60 and in the animation where it's all of a sudden her father dies and then she's a slave in her own home. Like we've seen it play out. We've seen how we've got here, but that shift it's like, okay, now we're in the story that we know. Mm -hmm. And you see that's when the wheels really start turning for the stepmother. And that's when you see Cinderella becomes a slave in her own home. They move her to the attic. They, they did that while the father was alive, actually. She sets that up as soon as he leaves on this trip. Switching the bedroom. Yes. Right. Because they said that they, um, the stepsisters were not liking the living quarters. They thought that the room was too small. And Cinderella says, well, my bedroom is the second biz biggest, so maybe we'll switch. And her mother, stepmother interrupts and goes, yes, you'll go to the attic temporarily while we redecorate and then she tells her to take this bric-a-brac with her which i don't know if you caught was her mother's sewing, sewing kit. kit yeah mm -hmm. um, and you can see the the look of astonishment and pain yeah. in cinderella's eyes as soon as she's like she was she was stunned that her stepmother would have said that because it's the first time that you really see her as being cruel but i like that they did it where they did because the father is still alive at this point. In fact, he's just left, I think. Right. And it just goes to show that, you know, she knows better than to do that while the father's around. But while he's gone, she's going to start making changes as she sees fit. Right. They address the Cinderella name um, as right. they all make fun of her for it. Um, they even address why she's sleeping downstairs by the fire instead of the attic which is her new bedroom and they said sometimes it's too cold up there and that was the minute in the film that i think the stepmother had totally turned on her mm -hmm. when she was like cinderella like the the stepsisters were saying it in jest to pick fun at her and her mother or stepmother i should say looks at her and almost i mean it, it's obviously very intentionally but almost, I hate to use the word hateful because it is such a strong word, but almost hatefully just looks at her dead in the eyes and goes, Cinderella. And then it's followed by a maniacal laugh. Maniacal laugh. No, she does. She's like, yes. Cinderella. <laughs> yes. Like, I got my way. Right. And then 
Cinderella takes off on her horse to go blow off some steam, and you get introduced to the prince, or as they call him in this film, Kit. He actually has a name. I like that the prince is a more active person in this film. That was a gripe that we had in the last movie, is that he kind of didn't do anything. Here, you very much see him do a lot. Right. And not only do they utilize him more and give him more of a backstory, and that's almost the subplot in this one is his relationship to his father. Um, But I actually do like that they plant him much earlier on. And it's not just like, oh, the prince is this unattainable thing. I actually like that they met earlier I think it works for the story because at first I didn't like it and I was like well you're kind of taking too many liberties here but I think it works even though it kind of rips off on Aladdin a little bit as far as you know being a commoner when you're when you're really royalty right and hiding your identity exactly but it does kind of come full circle at the end because he does fall in love with Cinderella as soon as he sees her as a commoner. And then later at the ball thinks that she's a princess. So at the end, it does kind of give more depth to the character of Cinderella because now she has to deal with, can I actually be who he thinks that I am? Right. And um, it, so it, it was smart planting that now. And it makes him very human. Yes. That he has his own ideologies and that he has his own motivations um and i love how they further explain their motivation this is the king behind marrying him off and it's to expand their small kingdom yeah there's definitely more substance to the to the ball really and i like that the ball is also like a planned tradition instead of just like nope i need to marry my kid off let's have a ball he's got to stop gallivanting this is something that happens it's it was almost like a coming out party like they did back in the day for women where they would kind of parade them around in front of high society and try and have them picked up but this was almost the reversal where the king is trying to marry the prince off and how good are those costumes oh my god i mean throughout this entire film the 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 entire movie this the the um the ball specifically but the costumes in this movie are absolutely fantastic Mm. yes they are they're fantastic but i will say this i don't like that cinderella's work clothes are blue um we talked about how well it worked that she was in darker colors in the animation and i love the way the blue looks on the actress i think she's really pretty um but it's too much like belle's dress like belle's blue with with the white apron yeah so for that reason, I don't love it. I wish it was either a different color or just like a different style or something. It's just too similar for me. You know what my biggest gripe with this movie is? Where is the castle? Thank you. This thing that they're living in looks like Buckingham Palace. Okay, fine. Like we said, we think this is supposed to be set in England. We're talking about doing live action remakes. We have a Cinderella's castle. Make it look like the Magic Kingdom. Maybe not exactly like that, but at least draw from that. Like, you know, you have have 
an opportunity here to make us feel like we're in the movie. So since you already have the castle in the park, rather than refurb something else and take out something else that we love, looking at you, great movie ride, retrofit your movie into the park. And the other thing, too, is you're trying to give us this narrative that you're a small kingdom and you need to expand your borders and that's why you need to marry off a princess, yet you that have... small. That's small. It's a fortress. Yeah. It was huge. Yeah. That was a big disappointment for me. Yeah, exactly. Um... But, you know, look, I get it. Not everything is going to be exactly the same. And I suppose they didn't want to do an exact replica of the castle. But you, you had to at least get it Draw close. something from it. This building's not even white. No, it does. I was going to say the color scheme doesn't even match. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a big miss for me. And it's snowing at the end. Like, put, put the Christmas lights on it or something. Give me something oh, to tie it into that. the Magic Kingdom. Well, that's, I guess that's the thing, is they didn't want it to just look like they shot the movie in the park. I get that. But it's Cinderella's castle. Thank you. And I'm just going to go ahead and spoil this now. When we do the live-action Beauty and the Beast um, review, mm-hmm. my big issue with that, and it has been my issue with some of these live-action films, is that you miss some of the iconic moments. Yeah. When we talked about uh, the Jungle Book and they did um, uh, Bare Necessities. Bare necessities. Um, I'm not sure where you're going. That was a lucky guess. They, But that was it. That entire number was kind of a swing and a miss. I know that movie wasn't a musical, but you missed on that. You miss on, on, on uh, Cinderella's Castle here, Beauty and the Beast. You have that entire scene with the Beast and Belle and they're dancing to the song Beauty and the Beast. Never a shot of the chandelier coming down from the ceiling. Iconic in that film. I'm spoiling this for that review. Iconic Iconic in in Disney history. Anytime you see some kind of montage in Disney films, that is the money shot. It's in there. And they didn't do it. So these live action films have a history of missing the icons. I get it. It's supposed to be a reinterpretation, a reimagining, a remake. Fine. There are certain aspects that for Disney fans, you can't miss. Right. We're sitting here saying, and we're almost about halfway through the film, that there are a lot of things that they did right and the liberties that they took with the adaptation are really working. But there are some things where your animated film should literally be your storyboard for the live action remake. And that's one of them. Right. Because without the success of that animated film, you're not making this movie. Right. It's the benchmark. It has to be. Are you ready to bippity boppity boop to the ball? Yes. Okay. Um, so in this instance, our fairy godmother is played by Helena Bonham Carter, who admittedly, I completely forgot was in this since we saw in the, I, we, I mean, before doing our review this week, I've seen this movie once in the theater. It's not something that I've revisited at all, really completely forgot. She was great. She's And I'm not usually, I'm not the biggest fan of her. Yeah. I loved her in this movie. In this role where she kind of played the manic uh, fairy godmother. They it was played funny. up the dits quite it was a bit. Great. And it, it worked. worked. It worked so well. 
You know what I'm actually surprised at was that they didn't flip flop and make Helen and Bonham Carter the stepmother and Kate Blanchett the fairy godmother. I would have been okay in a world where that exists too. Yeah. Because we've seen we've seen Helena Bonham Carter be the mean villain. I mean, obviously she was the Red Queen, but even if you're talking about Harry Potter and um Sweeney Todd, we've seen her be like the evil villainous role. So I think she could have pulled this off, but I think she this looks, was fun. It was. I also think she's she looks too young to have been Cinderella's stepmother. Agreed. Um, I will say her quote unquote old makeup because they introduce her as like an old hag before she transforms into her true form. It was very into the woodsy. Yeah, it's terrible. It's awful. Her face doesn't move. She speaks and her lips don't move. Yeah, well, when we were watching it, you were like, who is that? And then I recognized it. I thought it was it Tracy Ullman. Yeah. I saw it in her eyes and I was like, I think that's HBC. And then we looked it up and I was like, I totally forgot that she was in this movie. But that makeup is so bad. It looks like a Halloween mask. I think it's supposed to, though, because I think we're supposed to be clued into it as the audience and not Cinderella. But there's a lot of bad things. Honestly, like the mice look great compared to the scene because between her makeup and that awful pumpkin... It actually makes the mice look good. That the that pumpkin, pumpkin looks like you could buy it at Party City. I was going to say it looked like something you picked up at Target as a Halloween decoration. Yeah. Um, but I do kind of like that entire scene as much as I miss Bibbidi Bobbidi Boo mm. as the showstopper of the film. I like that scene. I like how she does say twice. If she would have said it more than twice, I think it would have been over the top when she says Bibbidi Bobbidi Boo and she kind of dashes her wand and she starts creating things. Um, in spite of the fact that that pumpkin looks stupid, the carriage is beautiful. Yeah. It has so much detail. And I think that they actually did have it on display in the parks for a while. Yeah. But that was really impressive. I like how everything that got transformed still resembles what it was initially. Like, in the animation, they completely redo everything. I mean, the carriage, yes, it still kind of looks like a pumpkin, but she transfer she transforms the lizards into footmen, and their color palette is all green, but they still look like an amphibian. And same thing with the mice being turned into the horses. They still have big ears. So I like how there's that resemblance. I, and that CGI was actually good. Yeah, and the makeup, especially oh on the lizards, gosh, was amazing. Yeah. But even though they kind of look like something out of the Super Mario Brothers movie from the early 90s, <laughs> <laughs> I actually kind of liked it. Um, there were a couple of things here that they addressed that they didn't in the last movie um, that I liked. For mm. example... She goes out of her way to say, I'll make sure you're not recognizable and just kind of puts a spell yep. on her. Doesn't change her physical appearance, but makes her unrecognizable to the average person. Well, I think it's only for her step family right. to not recognize her. Right. It's, it's like, uh, you know, an invisibility spell or something where it, it she'll look different to everyone or, or she'll be herself to everyone but them. And something I didn't bring up in the last show um, was the magic wears off. The spell wears off yeah, at midnight, like so why does just... she still have the shoes? But they do have a quick throwaway line here where she says, everything that was turns back to what it was after the stroke of midnight. 
she made those shoes from nothing. That's why those shoes don't disappear. Right. And I was like, yes, you cleaned up so much. Like, well done. What I also like about it is that in the animation, the fairy godmother gives her until midnight and she says, I can't give you something for nothing. So it's almost like she's enforcing the rules. But what they do here is that she's like, you only have until midnight. And the way that it's delivered, it almost makes it seem like the fairy godmother doesn't understand why, but she's like, you only have till midnight. Those are the rules. I have to play by the rules and so do you. Yes. Um, so I thought that worked really well. But yeah, this whole the whole scene, even though you lose bippity boppity boo, it's it's still really well done. Yeah. Um, and then she arrives at the ball and her step family doesn't recognize her, but Kit re- recognizes her immediately. As the girl in the woods. Right. Um and they dance, and... That dance sounds much too much like Once Upon a Dream. I don't like it. I do like how they repurpose the Dilly Dilly song, though, when she's yes. coming down the staircase. Like anything that revolves around Dilly Dilly, which, by the way, is the official cry of the monorail bar crawl. Yes, when we do the monorail, monorail, oh. Oh. We should totally do that. Yes, yes. Who wants to do a listener meetup in November? Do the monorail with monorail. You got to be quick, though. We don't mess around. Yeah. We'll save a story for as we get closer to the trip, but we like to do that monorail pub crawl. That's going to happen. That's going to be a thing in November as we get closer. Monorail with monorail. We're going to do We're going to have cocktails and have fun. Okay. So just put that in your calendar. I don't have a date for you yet other than November, but just write it on November. November is now known as monorail with monorail. Um... <laughs> So you get to the ball and they kind of gallivant off together after they dance. He brings her to the secret garden and, you know, okay, it's cheesy and it clearly is an AstroTurf lawn and it's very much a soundstage. That to me is the only part of this movie that, in in terms of setting, Mm. that was the only thing that really looked fake. See, to me, I have less of an issue with that and more... I mean, you're right. It's so jarring compared to everything else. It takes me right out of it. But what I like is that they're walking through the garden. It's totally relatable. The conversation that they're having, it's like, oh, my parents don't understand me. And because, you know, they're young still. Right. And their lives are sort of being controlled for them. So I like the conversation that they're having, but like they stood, they could have just kept walking around the grounds of the castle. Why did we have to have like a secret garden with a swing? And it was just a little too much. It pulled me out of it a little bit. I mean, I realize we're supposed to, we're talking about a fairy tale, but it just, there's already a secret garden movie. Like we didn't need that. Right. The f- it would have served more of a purpose if she would have had sort of a coming out with him as to what she really is. But then, obviously, it ruins the end of the movie. Um, what I do like, though, is that she realizes for herself what time it is. Right. And she gets a jump on her exit as opposed to doing it in 12, se- 12 seconds while the clock is striking. I thought that was that worked better. And she almost seemed to be okay with the fact that that was all that was ever going to be. She was just happy to have that moment, and she wasn't looking for more. She was just going to walk away with that as being her memory, and that's all it was ever going to be to her. Right. Um, again, showing you just how unselfish she is. So the they they chase her. They can't get to her. 
obviously the carriage and everything falls apart, turns back into a pumpkin. She's left walking home in the rain. Um, and her, her stepmother and stepsisters come back and they say, give us tea and biscuits. And her stepsisters are fighting over who made the bigger impression on him. And the stepmother goes, goes, he didn't even look at you. (laughs) He didn't even dance with you. (laughs) But Cinderella is like laughing at them because they, they're, they don't realize they're talking about her. They're like the mystery princess showed up and she's a hussy and she threw herself at the prince and Cinderella is just laughing. And that's when the stepmother starts to realize what's going on. I love that whole sequence. Yeah. Aside from the stepsisters are really funny. Um, it's just great to hear like the other side of the story and how it looks to the girls who didn't get their way. I mean, of course they're, they're calling her a hussy for crying out loud, like you said, but it's just funny because it it totally shows who they are as characters. And like, they probably would have done that in the animation if there was a scene like that, because you know, they don't even care. All they care about is it's not them, but I like that the, their mother drives it home at that point. Yeah. Like you two are done. Yeah. Um, You're hopeless. What I don't like about how the film ends is to start with, I don't like how Cinderella doesn't produce the second slipper because she's not able to give her stepmother her comeuppance in front of everybody per se. In this film, her stepmother finds the hidden glass slipper and tries to barter with her, like, I'll give you the slipper, but you're gonna, I'm going to run the house and we're going to see to it so that your stepsisters are married off to you know wealthy people. And when Cinderella says no, her mother smashes the glass slipper. And Cinderella says to her mother what the rest of us have been wanting to ask for, oh, almost 70 years. Why are you so cruel? Why do you behave this way? Right. And that's where we we find out what we had talked about earlier was um, that her stepmother had a good life and was heartbroken and and remarried just for money and status. But there's just something about the way the movie ends, and we'll get to the ending in just a moment, but her not being able to produce that... I just I feel like the victory is lost. I do agree with you there because I miss that moment of like, don't worry, Duke, I got this. Here's the other one. Yeah. And um, you kind of have that grin on your face. I can't say what kind of eating grin you would have, but the bleep eating grin on your face. Right. But I feel like th- this definitely works overall for this story. And I really like that they added like Lady Tremaine's final act where I wouldn't say that she is trying to bargain with Cinderella. I think she's blackmailing her. Um, I like that we did actually get some insight into wow, she has feelings because she said my husband died and he was the light of my life. So you knew that she never really loved Cinderella's father. However, um, I like that we got some kind of feeling out of her and why she is doing this. And we we did kind of get the answer is that she's doing it all for her daughters to set them up because she knows they're dumb as dirt. But when she actually breaks the shoe and then Cinderella asks her, why did you do this? Why are you so cruel? She starts struggling to find the words and they leave us hanging. They don't actually ever answer the question. 
That I definitely don't like. But in the next scene, she goes to tell the Duke everything that she knows. And that I do like. Because if she can't blackmail Cinderella, she's going to blackmail him. That I thought was pretty brilliant. And he basically, I mean, he comes out and says, "Are are you threatening me? And she goes, yes. Just so nonchalant. What I like about her this entire time is that she's calm, cool, and collected. She never panics. She's so deliberate. and But she you could tell that for the most part, she's a step ahead. I think that's a credit to Kate Blanchett, too, because the entire film, she's got like this bemused smile on her face. Like yeah. she never loses her cool. You're right. It's just that like she has that attitude of I'm going to get my way. And I actually like, too, the Duke is almost a villain in this one, too, because he he's already to be in cahoots with her. But yeah, this Stellan enti- Skarsgård. Yes. This entire time, he's wanted the prince to marry a princess for personal gain because he wants a bigger kingdom. He's clearly after something else. Um, so I like that he was ready to... since he knew who Cinderella really was, he was trying to find a decoy. Right. And he knew where she was and was trying to make sure that she never actually tried on the shoe. Yeah. I don't like how they finally found her, though. Because she was singing the song, Dilly Dilly. Dilly Dilly. And the mice opened the window so that they didn't pass her over when they looked at the house. Um. The two, you know, Anastasia and Drizella try on the shoe and they're about to leave. And then they overhear Cinderella and they're like, is there one more person in the house? Right. And the stepmother's like, no. And they're like, are you sure? No, but the Duke was ready to walk away. It was the captain that's that's arguing with him over it. Right. And then the prince reveals himself that he's actually been with them making sure the Duke carried out his wishes. Mm -hmm. So I like, and that was an issue we had with the last one too, was that the prince was barely chasing after her and then made the Duke do all the dirty work. He's actually out trying to find his lady. Now I do need to touch upon the fact that at this point in the film, he's no longer the prince. He's now the king. He's the king. Yes. Now did kind of, we skipped over that a bit, but we, we find out that the father is sick and that's also part of the motivation behind getting him married off and trying to expand the kingdom the scene where his father passes away is terrible um he he basically sits him down his father's dying in his bed he's in his deathbed and says don't marry for gain marry for love okay it's a nice moment and the prince kind of gets his, like, all right, we're on the same page. And the the prince has closure with knowing that he can go pursue the girl from the field, as they were calling her. But Kit literally curls up in the fetal position and is crying on the bed. And it just struck me as being, again, cheesy. It just... I couldn't take it seriously. Um, I wouldn't say cheesy. I would say childish. But I actually think it works in this case because, you know, you're talking about the king dying and the prince becoming the king. But I think what we lose sight of a little bit is that they're still young. I mean, we don't really know in this one how old they actually are. Yeah, they never address it. But we see that Kit is trying to mature, but he's still young. 
you know, and he's still losing a parent. So I almost don't mind that they did that, especially because um, we didn't really hit on this yet. I like overall the relationship between the prince and the king much better. I mean, aside that we've given the prince a substantial backstory, there's a scene at the ball between the prince and his father that I thought was really good um, because the king notices that he's looking for someone and he's like, are you looking for for the girl in the woods because he's been hung up on her throughout the entire film he's made it known that he's got a thing for her and the king's like oh forget about her you've only met her once you can't marry her and he's like well then what are we doing here tonight you're gonna have marry me off to someone that i've only met once right so I like, and that was something that Kit was also talking to Cinderella about when they're out in the garden is that um, his dad doesn't agree with him and they're not on the same page. And he was afraid that his dad was not going to change his mind before he passed because he knew he was sick. Right. So I like that there was sort of that passing of the baton moment, albeit a little bit cheesy on the deathbed. He he did say it's okay to marry for love and not for the good of the kingdom. Where I also think they improved with the prince is that, you know, as we said before, as the king, he reveals himself that he's been out searching for her this entire time. Um, so I think where you have issue with her not pulling out the other shoe, I think it actually works. You know, it's not quite that same take that moment for Cinderella but I like that he's actually the one to pull her physically take her away from her house at this point um you know and we did get a throwaway line because one of our our big issues with the last one is why doesn't she just leave why does she put up with this um Cinderella goes to meet with her friend in the village that's something by the way that totally didn't work for me like where is this friend all of a sudden how do you even know this person you've never been outside your your house really i got the feeling that that was one of the staff that they had let go. oh maybe maybe that would work then um but she says she would never leave the house because she promised her parents she would take care of it um so i like that not only was he out looking for her he was the one to take her away. And it's not like in the animation where like the Duke took her, brought her to the prince and then they get married. And I think that that works for the character too, because it's like we said, where she's not as sarcastic and she's not as I'm over this. Um, she kind of in this one has to learn to believe in herself a little bit because her mother, her stepmother has been so cruel. She's reinforced that you're nothing more than than this slave worker, essentially. And Cinderella starts to believe that about herself because right. when it comes time to leave, she's actually got a question, can I be who he thinks I am? Yeah. Not just a princess, but, you know, will you settle for me, essentially? Right. And they both have to answer that question, and obviously they do. They get married. They have the happy ending. I guess in conclusion, for me at least, this film gets a lot of things right. It gets some things wrong, but I think all of the things they do right sort of trump the things that they did wrong, and the things that they changed, I think, definitely work for this interpretation of the movie. So with all that being said, I do like this movie, and I think that as far as the live-action interpretations go, this is probably one of the better ones up to this point in time. 
I would definitely agree, especially when you compare it to something like Alice in Wonderland, where we found a lot of holes in the animated one, but it's not like they were addressed in the remake. Right. The remake just completely makes it fall apart. They took something that was, you know, questionable and made it a lot worse. This, we had a lot of plot holes that we found last week. They were all addressed and they all worked to tell this story. Um, If we're asking, does it hold up? Um, I think it does. I think it's a solid story. I like the cast, but it kind of the only thing that's really lacking is I miss that music. And I know I made a big deal about it last week is that while the music is catchy, it's not plot driven, but I think this could have worked as a musical. Yeah, I I think between the two, the original one has far more watchability. This to me is something I'm probably not going to watch for many years. Not because I dislike it, but it was a good movie. I've seen it a few times now. It's I don't not need to gonna, watch it again. It's not yeah. going to be at the top of my list. But that's not you should definitely go out and see it. It's not to say don't see it, but I agree as far as holding up, it's not as good as the original one and it's not something that uh, it's not something I think most people are going to view as something that they're going to revisit often. Right. I mean, if it's on, I'm certainly not going to change the channel. But right. it's it is a solid live action remake. It's one that was totally worth doing. Um, you know, it, it's not like they did this as a cash grab and it totally didn't work. It didn't ruin the original. Right. Right. Um, news this week. There wasn't a ton out there, um, but we have a lot of videos. We've seen this for the last couple of weeks, but we're starting to see a lot of gondola videos. You're starting to see the gondolas are really moving, and those things are flying. I mean, those things are moving fast. I don't know how many of the videos that you've watched, but because I know that you have a None. thing with heights. <laughs> I have no interest. I don't want to see how fast they go. It doesn't affect me because I'm never going to go on one. I want to go on one. I will go on Tower of Terror before I go on one of those. You realize they're only like 25 or 30 feet tall. I I don't care. I don't care if they're five feet off the ground. I don't want to dangle from a cable. We're seeing a lot of videos, though. Starting to see more. Because now they're doing the test runs. Even some of them, they're test running without the shrink wrap on them. So you're starting to see the detail on them. I, I am concerned. I think we mentioned it on the show before. I have a lot of concerns. My biggest concern is that they didn't air condition them. I mean, those things in Florida, they're going to get hot and sticky and uncomfortable. That's crazy to me. I mean, maybe if you're zipping along, you get like a nice little breeze, but... They're vented, but... I don't know, maybe because... To put because that much of... money into something and then not air condition Because I can't imagine, like, in the heat of July, people are going to be inclined to use them. Thankfully for us, we never go in the summertime, so it's not anything... And we're like... never going to go on the gondolas, You're so never it doesn't go matter. That's fine. I'd rather walk. I'll meet you at Trader Sam's. Yes. That might be something where one day when I need to zip back to the hotel because I have a run Disney thing to do... And you're staying in the park like when I do when I would like run at the food and wine and you would stay at Epcot and I'd have to zip over to go do something. I'll just jump on the gondola. Speaking of videos, by the way, did you see Disney's April Fool's? No, I didn't catch it yesterday. What did they do? So they made I think they were called sneers and they're the ears, but you could put snacks in them. 
And at first, what I didn't realize, I thought they were like just ears like made to look like snacks. And I was like, oh, that's cute. They have a little Dole Whip and whatever. But no, they were ears that you would actually use like as a dish. And at first I was like, oh God, what are they thinking? Like they totally had me hook, line and sinker because, you know, it looked like one of those influencer videos. Okay. Where they're actually wearing the snacks. And then it wasn't until somebody scooped a Dole Whip and like, lifted her hand up, took it out of the ear, like almost, you had to be dripping ice cream in your hair and ate it. I was like, oh, this is not a thing. And then Disney April Fool. They got me. They got me really good. Yes. It was clever. I got to go ahead and check that out. Well, we want to know if you guys fell for it or, you know, not only did you fall for the joke, um, but what do you think of the live action Cinderella remake? You can let us know on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Monoreal Radio. And if you want to go to the parks and see Cinderella's Castle, the real one, not this garbage that they put into the live action remake, shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.